Section twelve of Yiddish Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Yiddish Tales translated by Helena Frank and read by Adrian Pretzelis. Section twelve. Fischel the Teacher by Sholem Alechem. Twice a year, as sure as the clock, on the first day of Nisan and the first of Elul, for Pesach and Suchus, Fischel the Teacher travelled from Balta to Chastachevet, home to his wife and children. It was decreed that nearly all his life long he should be the guest of his own family, a very welcome guest, but a passing one. He came with the festival, and no sooner was it over than back with him to Balta, back to the schooling, the ruler, the Gomorrah, the dull, thick wits, to the being knocked about from pillar to post, to the wandering among strangers, and the longing for home. On the other hand, when Fischel does come home, he is an emperor. His wife, Bathsheba, comes out to meet him, pulls at her headkerchief, blushes red as fire, questions as though in asides without as yet looking him in the face, How are you? And he replies, How are you? And Freuke, his son, a boy of thirteen or so, greets him, and the father asks, Well, Ephraim, and how far on are you in the Gomorrah? And his little daughter, Wrestle, not at all a bad-looking little girl, with a plaited pigtail, hugs and kisses him. Tate, what sort of present have you brought me? Printed calico for a frock, and a silk kerchief for mother. There, give mother the kerchief. And Fischel takes a silk, suppose a half-silk kerchief, out of his talus-bag, and Bathsheba grows redder still, and pulls her headcloth over her eyes, takes up a bit of household work, busies herself all over the place, and ends up by doing nothing. Bring the Gomorrah, Ephraim, and let me hear what you can do. Freiker recites his lesson like the bright boy he is, and Fischel listens and corrects, and his heart expands and overflows with delight. His soul rejoices. Ah, bright boy, Freiker, a treasure! If you want to go to the bath, there is a shirt ready for you. Thus Bathsheba, as she passes him, still not venturing to look him in the face, and Fischel has a sensation of unspeakable comfort. He feels like a man escaped from prison, and back in a lightsome world, among those who are near and dear to him. And he sees in fancy a very, very hot bath-house, and himself lying on the highest bench with the other Jews and he perspires and swishes himself with the birch twigs, and can never have enough. Home from the bath, fresh and lively as a fish, like one new-born, he rehearses the portion of the law for the festival, puts on the Sabbath cloak and the new girdle, steals a glance at Bathsheba in her new dress and silk handkerchief, still a pretty woman, and so pious and good, and goes with Freuke to the shul. The air is full of Sholem Alechems. 
Welcome, Reb Fishel, the teacher. And what are you about? A teacher teaches. What is the news? What should it be? The world is the world. What is going on in Balta? Balta is Balta. The same formula is repeated every time, every half-year, and Nissel the reader begins to recite the evening prayers, and sends forth his voice, the further the louder. And when he comes to, and Moses declared the set feasts of the Lord unto the children of Israel, it reaches nearly to heaven, and Froike stands at his father's side and recites the prayers melodiously, and once more Fischl's heart expands and flows over with joy. A good child, Froike, a good, pious child. Hag Sameach, a happy holiday. A happy holiday, a good yah. At home they find the Passover table spread. The four cups, the bitter herbs, the almond and apple paste, and all the rest of it. The reclining seats, two small benches with big cushions, stand ready, and Fischel becomes a king. Fischel, robed in white, sits on the throne of his dominion. Bathsheba, the queen, sits beside him in her new silk kerchief. Ephraim, the prince, in a new cap and the princess wrestle with her plait, sit opposite him. Look on with respect. His Majesty Fischl is seated on his throne and has assumed the sway of his kingdom. The Chastzachevet scamps, who love to make game of the whole world, not to mention a teacher, maintain that one Passover Eve our Fischl sent his Bathsheba the following Russian telegram, have entered my pupils for the next term, and bringing money, prepare the dumplings. I come to reign. The mischief-makers declare that this telegram was seized at Balta station, that Bathsheba was sought and not found, and that Fischl was sent home with the etap. Dreadful! But I can assure you, there isn't a word of truth in the story, because Fischl never sent a telegram in his life. No one was ever seen looking for Bathsheba, and Fischl was never taken anywhere by the Etap. That is, he was once taken somewhere by the Etap, but not on account of a telegram, only on account of a simple passport, and not from Balta, but from Yahoops and not at Passover, but in summer-time. He wished, you see, to go to Yehups in search of a post as teacher, and forgot his passport. He thought it was in Balta, and he got into a nice mess, and forbade his children and children's children ever to go in search of pupils in Yehups. Since then he teaches in Balta, and comes home for Passover, winds up his work a fortnight earlier, and sometimes manages to hasten back in time for the Shabbos Hagadol. Hasten, did I say? That means when the road is a road, when you can hire a conveyance, 
and when the bug can either be crossed on the ice or in the ferry-boat. But when, for instance, the snow has begun to melt, and the mud is deep, when there is no conveyance to be had, when the bug has begun to split the ice, and the ferry-boat has not started running, when a skiff means peril of death and the festival is upon you, what then? It is just nitgut. Fischel the teacher knows the taste of nitgut. He has had many adventures and mishaps since he became a teacher, and took to faring from Chastachevet to Balta, and from Balta to Chastachevet. He has tried going more than halfway on foot, and helped to push the conveyance besides. He has lain in the mud with a priest, the priest on top and he below. He has fled before a pack of wolves who were pursuing the vehicle, and afterwards they turned out to be dogs and not wolves at all. But anything like the trouble on this Erev Pesach had never befallen him before. The trouble came before the bug, that is, from the bug's breaking through the ice, and just having its fling when Fischl reached it in a hurry to get home, and really in a hurry, because it was already Friday, and Passover Eve, that is, Passover Eve fell on a Sabbath that year. Fischl reached the bug in a Gentile conveyance Thursday evening. According to his own reckoning, he should have got there Tuesday morning, because he left Balta Sunday after market, the spirit having moved him to go into the market-place to spy after a chance conveyance. How much better it would have been to drive with Yankel Shagetz, a Balta carrier, even at the cart-tail with his legs dangling and shaken to bits. He would have been home long ago by now, and have forgotten the discomforts of the journey. But he wanted a cheaper transit, and it is an old saying that cheap things cost dear. Yona, the tippler, who procures vehicles in Balta, had said to him, Take my advice, give two roubles, and you will ride in Yankel's wagon like a lord. Even if you do have to sit behind the wagon, consider you're playing with fire. The festival approaches. But as ill luck would have it, there came along a familiar Gentile from Chastachevet. Eh, hey, Rabbi, you're not wanting a list to Chastachevet? How much would the fare be? He thought to ask how much, and he never thought to ask if it would take him home by Passover, because in a week he could have covered the distance walking behind the cart. But as Fischl drove out of the town, he soon began to repent of his choice, even though the wagon was large, and he sitting in it in a very solitary grandeur, like any count. He saw that with a horse that dragged itself along in that way, there would be no getting far, for they drove the whole day without getting anywhere in particular, and however much he worried the peasant to know if they were a long way yet, the only reply he got was, Who can tell? In the evening, with a rumble and a shout and a crack of the whip, there came up with them Yankel Shagetz and his four fiery horses jingling with bells, and the large coach 
packed with passengers before and behind. Yankel, catching sight of the teacher in the peasant's cart, gave another loud crack of his whip, ridiculed the peasant, his passenger and his horse, as only Yankel Shagetz knows how, and when a little way off, he turned and pointed at one of the peasant's wheels. "'Hello, man! Look out! There's a wheel turning!' The peasant stopped the horse, and he and the teacher clambered down together and examined the wheels. They crawled underneath the cart and found nothing wrong, nothing at all. Then the peasant understood that Yankel had made a fool of him. He scratched the back of his neck below his collar and then began to abuse Yankel and all the Jews with curses such as Fischel had never heard before. His voice and his anger rose together. "'May you never know good! May you have a bad year! May you not see the end of it! Bad luck to you! You and your horses and your wife and your daughters and your aunts and your uncles and your parents-in-law and, and all your cursed Jews!' It was a long time before the peasant took his seat again, nor did he cease to fume against Yankel the driver and all Jews, until, with God's help, they reached a village wherein to spend the night. Next morning Fischel rose with the dawn, recited his prayers, a portion of the law and a few psalms, breakfasted on a roll, and was ready to set forward. Unfortunately, Chefador this was the name of the driver, was not ready. Chefador had sat up late with a crony and got drunk, and he slept through a whole day and a bit of the night, and then only started on his way. "'Well,' Fischel reproved him as they sat in the cart, "'well, Chefador, a nice way to behave, upon my word. Do you suppose I engaged you for a merry-making?' What have you to say for yourself, I should like to know, eh?" And Fischel addressed other reproachful words to him, and never ceased casting the other's laziness between his teeth, partly in Polish, partly in Hebrew, and helping himself out with his hands. Chefador understood quite well what Fischel meant, but he answered him not a word, not a syllable even. No doubt he felt that Fischel was in the right, and he was silent as a cat, till, on the fourth day, they met Yankel Shagetz, driving back from Chaskachevet, with a rumble and a crack of his whip, who called out to them, "'You may as well turn back to Balta. The bug has burst the ice!' Fischel's heart was like to burst too, but Chefador who thought that Yankel was trying to fool him a second time, started repeating his whole list of curses, called down all bad dreams on Yankel's hands and feet, and never shut his mouth till they came to the bug on Thursday evening. They drove straight to Prokop Branyuk, the ferryman, to inquire when the ferry-boat would begin to run, and the two Gentiles, Chefador and Prokop, took to sipping brandy while Fischel proceeded to recite the afternoon prayer. The sun was about to set, and poured a rosy light onto the high hills that stood on either side of the river, and were snow-covered in parts, and already green in others, 
and intersected by rivulets that wound their way with murmuring noise down into the river, where the water foamed with the broken ice and the increasing thaw. The whole of Chastachevet lay before him as on a plate, while the top of the monastery sparkled like a light in the setting sun. Standing to recite the Shimona Esrei with his face towards Chastachevet, Fischel turned his eyes away and drove out the idle thoughts and images that had crept into his head. Bathsheba with a new silk kerchief, Froika with the Gomorrah, wrestle with her plait, the hot bath and the highest bench, and freshly bake matzah, together with nice peppered fish and horseradish that goes up your nose, pass over borscht with more matzah, a heavenly mixture, and all the other good things that desire is capable of conjuring up. And however often he drove those fancies away, they returned, and crept back into his brain like summer flies, and disturbed him at his prayers. When Fischel had repeated the Shimona Esrei and Elenu, he betook himself to Prokop, and entered into conversation with him about the ferry-boat and the festival eve, giving him to understand, partly in Polish and partly in Hebrew and partly with his hands, what Passover meant to the Jews, and Passover Eve falling on a Sabbath, and that if, which heaven forbid, he had not crossed the bug by that time to-morrow, he was a lost man, for, beside the fact that they were on the lookout for him at home, his wife and children—Fischel gave a sigh that rent the heart—he would not be able to eat or drink for a week, and Fischel turned away so that the tears in his eyes should not be seen. Prokok Branyuk quite appreciated Fischel's position, and replied that he knew to-morrow was a Jewish festival, and even how it was called. He even knew that the Jews celebrated it by drinking wine and strong brandy, and he even knew that there was yet another festival at which the Jews drunk brandy, and a third when all Jews were obliged to get drunk, but he had forgotten its name. "'Well and good!' Fischel interrupted him in a lamentable voice. "'But what is to happen? How if I don't get there?' To this Prokop made no reply. He merely pointed with his hand to the river, as much as to say, "'See for yourself!' And Fischel lifted up his eyes to the river, and saw that which he had never seen before, and heard that which he had never heard in his life because you may say that Fischel had never yet taken in anything out of doors, he had only perceived it accidentally, by the way, as he had hurried from Cheda to the Bessamidresh, and from the Bessamidresh to Cheda. The beautiful blue bug, between the two lines of imposing hills, the murmur of the winding rivulets as they poured down the hillsides, the roar of the ever-deepening spring-flow, the light of the setting sun, the glittering cupola of the convent, and the wholesome smell of Passover eve-tide out of doors, and above all the being so close to home, and not being able to get there. All these things lent wings, as it were, to Fischl's spirit, 
and he was born into a new world—a world of imagination, and crossing the bug seemed the merest trifle, if only the Almighty were willing to perform a fraction of a miracle on his behalf. Such and like thoughts floated in and out of Fishel's head, and lifted him into the air, and so far across the river he never realised that it was night, and the stars came out, and a cool wind blew in under his cloak to his talisketan, and Fischel was busy with things that he had never so much as dreamt of—earthly things and heavenly things, the great size of the beautiful world, the Almighty as Creator of the world, and so on. Fischel spent a bad night in Prokop's house, such a night as he hoped never to spend again. The morning broke with a smile from the bright and cheerful sun. It was a singularly fine day, and so sweetly warm that all the snow left melted into kasha, and the kasha into water, and this water poured into the bug from all sides, and the bug became clearer, light blue, full and smooth, and the large bits of ice that looked like dreadful wild beasts, like white elephants hurrying and tearing along as if they were afraid of being late, grew rarer. Fischl the teacher recited the morning prayer, breakfasted on the last piece of leavened bread left in his talus bag, and went out to the river to see about the ferry. Imagine his feelings when he heard that the ferry-boat would not begin running before Sunday afternoon. He clapped both hands to his head, gesticulated with every limb, and fell to abusing Prokop. Why had he given him hopes that the ferry-boat's crossing next day? Whereupon Prokop answered, quite coolly, that he had said nothing about crossing with the ferry, he was talking about taking him across in a small boat, and that he could still do, if Fischl wished, in a sailboat, in a rowboat, in a raft, and the fare was not less than one rouble. A raft, a rowboat, anything you like, only don't let me spend the festival away from home. Thus Fischl, and he was prepared to give him two roubles there and then, to give his life for the holy festival, and he began to drive Prokop into getting out the raft at once, and taking him across in the direction of Chastachevet, where Bathsheba, Froika, and Ressel were already looking out for him. It may be they are standing on the opposite hills, that they see him and make signs to him, waving their hands, that they call to him. Only one can neither see them nor hear their voices, because the river is wide, dreadfully wide, wider than ever. The sun was already halfway up the deep blue sky when Prokop told Fischl to get into the little trough of a boat, and when Fischl heard him he lost all power in his hands and feet, and was at a loss what to do, for never in his life had he been in a rowboat, never in his life had he been in any small boat, and it seemed to him the thing had only to dip a little to one side, and all would be over. "'Jump in, and off we'll go,' said Prokop once more, 
and with a turn of his oar he brought the boat still closer in, and took Fishel's bundle out of his hands. Fishel the teacher drew his coat-skirts neatly together, and began performing circles without moving from the spot, hesitating whether to jump or not. On the one hand were Passover Eve, Bathsheba, Froika, Ressela, the bath, the home service, himself as king. On the other, the peril of death, the destroying angel, suicide, because one dip and good-bye Fischl, peace be upon him. And Fischl remained circling there with his folded skirts, till Prokop lost patience and said, another minute and he should set out and be off to Chastechevet without him. At the beloved word, Chastechevet, Fischl called his dear ones to mind, summoned the whole of his courage, and fell into the boat. I say, fell in, because the instant his foot touched the bottom of the boat it slipped, and Fischl, thinking he was falling, drew back, and this drawing back sent him headlong forward into the boat bottom, where he lay stretched out for some minutes before recovering his wits, and for a long time after his face was livid, and his hands shook, while his heart beat like a clock, tick-tick-tack, tick-tick-tack. Prokop, meantime, sat in the prow as though he were at home. He spit into his hands, gave a stroke with the oar to the left, a stroke to the right, and the boat glided over the shining water, and Fischl's head spun round as he sat. As he sat? No. He hung floating, suspended in the air. One false movement, and that which held him would give way. One lean to the side, and he would be in the water and done with. At this thought the words came into his mind, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters, and his hair stood on end at the idea of such a death. How? Not even to be buried with the dead of Israel? And he bethought himself to make a vow to—to do what? To give money to charity? He had none to give, he was a very, very poor man. So he vowed that if God would bring him home in safety, he would sit up whole nights and study, go through the whole of the Talmud in one year, God willing, with God's help. Fischl would dearly have liked to know if it were much further to the other side, and found himself seated, as though on purpose, with his face to Prokop and his back to Chastachevet, and he dared not open his mouth to ask. It seemed to him that his very voice would cause the boat to rock, and one rock, good-bye Fischl. But Prokop opened his mouth of his own accord and began to speak. He said there was nothing worse when you were on the water than a thaw. It made it impossible, he said, to row straight ahead. One had to adapt one's course to the ice, to row round and round and backwards. There's a bit of ice making straight for us now." Thus Prokop, and he pulled back and let pass a regular ice-flow which swam by with a singular rocking motion 
and a sound that Fischel had never seen or heard before. And then he began to understand what a wild adventure this journey was, and he would have given goodness knows what to be safe on shore, even on the one they had left. "'Oh, you see that?' asked Prokop, and pointed upstream. Fischel raised his eyes slowly, was afraid of moving much, and looked and looked, and saw nothing but water, water, water. "'There's a big one coming down on us now. We must make a dash for it, for it's too late to row back.' So said Prokop, and rowed away with both hands, and the boat glided and slid like a fish through the water, and Fischel felt cold in every limb. He would have liked to question, but was afraid of interfering. However, again Prokop spoke of himself. "'If we don't win by a minute, it will be the worse for us.' Fischel can now no longer contain himself, and asks, "'How do you mean, the worst?' We shall be done for," says Prokop. "'Done for?' "'Done for.' "'How do you mean, done for?' persists Fischl. "'I mean it will grind us.' "'Grind us?' "'Grind us.' Fischl does not understand what grind us may signify, but it has a sound of finality, of the next world about it and Fischl is bathed in a cold sweat, and again the words come into his head, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. And Prokop, as though to quiet our Fischl's mind, tells him a comforting story of how, years ago at this time, the bug broke through the ice and the ferry-boat could not be used, and there came to him another person to be rowed across an excise official from Uman, quite a person of distinction, and offered a large sum, and they had the bad luck to meet two huge pieces of ice, and he rode to the right, in between the floes, intending to slip through upwards, and he made an involuntary side-motion with the boat, and they went flop into the water. Fortunately he, Prokop, could swim. But the official came to grief, and the fare money too. It was good-bye to my fare, ended Prokop with a sigh, and Fischl shuddered, and his tongue dried up, so that he could neither speak nor utter the slightest sound. In the middle of the river, just as they were rowing along quite smoothly, Prokop suddenly stopped and looked, and looked up the stream. Then he laid down the oars, drew a bottle out of his pocket, tilted it into his mouth, sipped out of it two or three times, put it back, and explained to Fischl that he had always to take a few sips of the bitter drop, otherwise he felt bad when on the water. And he wiped his mouth, took the oars again, and said, having crossed himself three times, "'Now for a race!' "'A race? With whom? With what?' Fischl did not understand, and was afraid to ask. But again he felt the brush of the death-angel's wing, for Prokop had gone down on his knees and was rowing with might and main. Moreover, he said to Fischl, and pointed to the bottom of the boat, "'Rebbe, lie down!' Fischl 
understood that he was to lie down, and did not need to be told twice, for now he had seen a whole host of floes coming down upon them, a world of ice, and he shut his eyes, flung himself face downwards in the boat, and lay trembling like a lamb, and recited in a low voice, Hear, O Israel, and the confession, and thought of the graves of Israel, and fancied that now, now he lies in the abyss of the waters, now, now comes a fish, and swallows him, like Yonah the prophet, when he went to Tarshish, and he remembers Yonah's prayer, and sings softly with tears. The waters have reached unto my soul, to home you so vainy, the deep hath covered me. Fishel the teacher sang and wept, thought pitifully of his widowed wife and his orphaned children, and Prokop rode for all he was worth, and sang his little song, O oh, thou maiden with the black lashes! And Prokop felt the same on the water as on dry land, and Fishel's Afafumi and Prokop's O Maiden blended into one, and a strange song sounded over the bug, a kind of duet which had never been heard there before. The black year knows why he is so afraid of death, that Jew, so wondered Prokop Baranyuk, a poor tattered little Jew like him, a creature I would not give this old boat for, and so afraid of death. The shore reached. Prokop gave Fischl a shove in the side with his boot, and Fischl started. The Gentile burst out laughing, but Fischl did not hear. Fischl went on reciting the confession and saying Kaddish for his own soul, and mentally contemplating the graves of Israel. "'Get up, you silly Rebbe! We're there, in Chastachevet!" Slowly, slowly, Fischl raised his head and gazed around him with red, swollen eyes. Chastachevet? Chastachevet! Give me the rouble, Rebbe! Fischl crawls out of the boat, and finding himself really at home, does not know what to do for joy. Shall he run into the town? Shall he go dancing? Shall he first thank and praise God who has brought him safe out of such great peril? He pays the Gentile his fare, takes up his bundle under his arm, and is about to run home, the quicker the better. But he pauses a moment first, and turns to Prokop, the ferryman. "'Listen, Prokop, dear heart, to-morrow, please God, you'll come and drink a glass of brandy, and taste festival fish at Fischl the teachers, for heaven's sake.' "'Shall I say no? Am I such a fool?' replied Prokop licking his lips in anticipation at the thought of the Passover brandy he would sip, and the festival fish he would delicate himself with on the morrow. And Prokop gets back into his boat, and pulls quietly home again, singing a little song, and pitying the poor Jew who was so afraid of death. <laughs> the Jewish faith is the same as the Mohammedan, and it seems to him a very foolish one. And Fischl is thinking almost the same thing and pities the Gentile on account of his religion. What knows he, yon poor Gentile, of such holy promises as were made to us Jews, the beloved people? 
and Fischel the teacher hastens uphill through the Chastachevet mud. He perspires with the exertion, and yet he does not feel the ground beneath his feet. He flies, he floats, he is going home, home to his dear ones who are on the watch for him as for the Messiah, who look for him to return in health, to seat himself upon his kingly throne and reign. Look, Jews, and turn respectfully aside. Fischel the teacher has come home to Chastachevet and seated himself upon the throne of his kingdom. End of Fischel the Teacher by Sholem Aleichem